WMQA. Hello and welcome to WMQA. I'm Dan Grote. And I'm Matt Laswitz. And this week we're joined by the creator of Images Upcoming Big Girls, Jason Howard. Welcome aboard, Jason. Hi, guys. How are you? All right. Doing well. So uh, I'll start with our our typical icebreaker question. Uh, What comics do you remember reading when you first got into the medium? As a kid, I I read, um, like when I, I don't know how old, but pretty young enough to not recognize that people made these things. Um, I read Spider-Man comics and my parents had a couple tin tin books in the house that mm-hmm. came from i'm not sure where they were just always around so i would read and reread those and i always had a love of spider-man um, but i didn't have a lot of comics there was a few we we got at like a used bookstore and then i kind of put comics away for like once i learned to read better my parents were big like proponents of reading Mm-hmm. Um, so I read a lot of like book books. So I read a lot of science fiction, fantasy, and all that stuff. And then in kind of my teen years, I rediscovered comics with Todd McFarlane, Spider-Man. So I had always kind of been attracted to comics, but I would often pick up a comic and be like, man, this looks awesome. And then I'd open the inside and be like, ah, you know, like it wasn't as cool looking as the cover. So I, I distinctly remember seeing an issue of Todd McFarlane, although I didn't know his name at the time, Spider-Man on the rack and thinking, man, that cover looks awesome. Picking it up and expecting the inside to look disappointing and looking at the inside and being like, every page looks as awesome as the cover. And so I picked that up and immediately started trying to track down other things drawn by this guy, Todd McFarlane. And then that kind of led me into uh, the Marvel stuff at the time, you know, Liefeld, all the popular books, you know, in the early 90s. So Liefeld on X-Force and Jim Lee's X-Men. And then very soon after that, they all left Marvel and did the image thing. Mm-hmm. And then I was I was like, that was my jam. So that, that's kind of how it started. <laughs> and uh, McFarland Spider-Man, you know, uh, the detail that he put, I mean, you know, people remember McFarlane Spider-Man, obviously, partially because of the way Spider-Man, he would draw Spider-Man sort of contorting his body while he was swinging, but also the detail he put into the webbing. Um, I don't know if you've ever done Spider-Man as a commission for somebody or, or anything yeah. like that. Yep. That's got to be, that, that's got to be time consuming, I imagine. Yeah, and his whole inking style, I mean, at the time, to me as a kid, just the amount of lines and the way he would draw the lines was just incredibly appealing. And the detail in the line work, I think, sort of tricked my brain into looking past what, you know, later I could see some, you know, anatomy things. You're like, oh, okay, that's a weird looking hand. Doesn't, you know, like, <laughs> that's not what hands do. But it looked awesome. Yeah. And really, there's, a, there's a, I think, something to be said for comics that look awesome. They don't have to be realistic. And, you know, I think, you know, for me, artistically, I went through a phase where it was like, oh, these people, you know, some of the artists I used to like, they didn't really understand anatomy or really understand how to draw certain things. And I quickly kind of gave that up and realized it's art. So you're allowed to stylize. (laughs) And really, especially in comics, like it should be appealing and fun. And, you know, there's plenty of real world for the real world. You know, if we're, Mm -hmm. we're in comics, it's all right to have some that you know, you see the voice of the artist and the flavor and their personality and their choices on the page. They're not, you know, referencing everything with a photo. So, you know, 
and again, there's lots of heavy photo guys that I love, I think do, you know, very realistic work that's incredibly impressive. But I also really like um, a lot of those guys that I kind of immediately fell in love with where they really exaggerate and stylize things and had a lot of fun with art. It's the rule of cool. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's what the early 90s were all about, baby. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, you know, like, I know they get a bad rap sometimes. And, you know, I read that stuff then and I didn't maybe I wasn't there for the story and later would reread it and, you know, have some opinions on the story side. But mm -hmm. if you're targeting a certain age, you know, I don't know, like stuff my kids are into, you know, they like it and they're not worried about, oh, the, there's a really great story in Minecraft or whatever video game they were into in a particular point in their life. You know, sure. mm -hmm. they're just like, there's some cool element that appeals to them and clicks with them. And that's the way a lot of those comics are. Absolutely. Well, uh, speaking of comics uh, full of cool stuff, uh, you are here mm -hmm. to talk about uh, Big Girls, your, your new yeah. uh, image series coming out uh, in August. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read the uh, solicit for listeners who may not be familiar. Uh, when men become giant monsters, hell-bent on destroying the world, only girls can stop them. Big girls. Uh, Ember writes poetry, loves to read, and she's a 300-foot-tall full-time monster killer. Uh, she and the other big girls are all that stand in the way of our world's complete annihilation. Uh, Matt and I read the first issue, uh, and you know, as advertised, it's got a, a, a big woman fighting a monster, uh, mm -hmm. but with plenty of social commentary underneath, like any good work of, uh, you know, monster fiction, uh, before we get, you know, into the weeds with all of this, you know, uh, the version we read didn't, uh, come with a credits page or anything. Uh, you know, obviously it's, a, you know, got your name plastered on the front by Jason Howard. Um, is there a, a letter or editor somewhere in there that, uh, I'm missing that I want to make sure that, you know, sure. let people know part of the project. Finch. Yeah, Stephen Finch, or he goes by Phonographics, is mm -hmm. uh, the letterer on Big Girls. So he's lettered several of my previous other projects, Cemetery Beach and Trees, as well as lots of other stuff. He's, he's an amazing, amazing letterer, has a great eye for design, and kind of helps me out with design stuff on the book as well. But as far as that, everything mm -hmm. else, story, inks, pencils, colors, all that, is on me so <laughs> for <right>. better or worse <laughs> we've come to the right place uh <laughs> so how, how long was this series uh incubating you know when did, when did you start working on it so i i was looking through some files a few weeks ago and i have early writing and kind of sketches from 2015 mm. so um i have a document titled big girls that dates back to then uh it was a little different uh, in the way the story was executed and where where we're at now. And uh, it was kind of one of those projects. Sometimes when working on a, on a book with a writer, there are breaks, you know, people have lives, people have other work. So I would end up with, oh, I'm, I'm caught up on this issue. I finished the issue, but I'm not going to get script for two weeks. I'm not going to get script for a week or, you know, I'm not going to get script for a month or whatever that window is. Mm -hmm. And so I've always written like stuff for myself. Like as a kid, I, I was a writer kind of before I was an artist. That was a thing I liked. I mentioned I read a lot of books. So mm -hmm. before I got back into comics in my teen years, I would write a lot and wrote a lot of short stories. So I always felt like, you know, writing and drawing your own comic is kind of, you know, again, going back to the early image guys, that's kind of the thing you do, right? That's just, sure. you know, <laughs> you go out, you create your own thing. 
So I've been pretty fortunate in the people I've, you know, been able to work with as far as writers in this industry. Um, but I've always wanted to kind of try my hand at writing and drawing my own book. So um, I started developing big girls and then it would, I'd work on that for a couple of weeks and then, you know, go back to regular work and then I might get a week or get a month. So it was spread out. And then um, about a year or so ago is when I really buckled down and, I guess kind of said, all right, I've cleared away everything. This is going to be my project. And I pitched it to image and Eric was on board. And so I knew I had a home for it there. And that's when I kind of dug in and dug out everything that I'd done to that point and really kind of fleshed out the story and wrote it as something I could draw and then got to it. Um, art wise, uh, you know, yeah. because you're dealing with, with giant people, uh, and and how they fit into to regular size society, you get to play with a lot of you know fun camera angles, forced perspective, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Um, is that something you know when you're storyboarding, kind of thumbnailing stuff out? You know, was that sort of a, a front of mind thing? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I I, I felt, and it took me a while to kind of get the hang of it. I feel like later issues of the series, I, I really try to take advantage of that. Um, every chance I get, I tried to, in my head, I picture, you know, it, if you're drawing, say a ghost rider comic, mm -hmm. there's, you know, there's certain things that that comic has to have, right. It's got to have, you've got to have some awesome shots of him on his motorcycle with his flaming head, throwing a chain. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're drawing a Hulk comic, there's some things that book has to have, right. You've got to have giant Hulk ripping and, you know, Spider-Man. So all the kind of characters have a visual hook i guess for lack of a better term so with big girls i felt like like the concept is the visual hook so really trying to take advantage of ways to make them look or seem big or get juxtapositions between big things and small things visually to kind of make points or just provide visual interest was something that i tried to kind of treat like a visual hook like you might treat you know ghost rider or spider-man swinging through the city is like all right every issue you gotta have some cool spidey shots you know <laughs> so that's kind of was in my head as i drew big girls is trying to push and take advantage of those you know low angle looking up at this towering figure or up above looking down on these tiny people way below and you know in in some of the fights as we go it's fun to kind of play with the scale of things and you know, they're not just crashing into, you know, a rock, it's crashing into a building. So you get all little stuff flying out and chairs and, you know, that kind of stuff is fun to draw. Absolutely. Uh, it, it, it's like, it, it's like uh, getting to build your own little Godzilla model city. Yeah. And then just <laughs> smash it all. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it's like playing with Legos, you know, <laughs> you make your Lego thing and then you crash something into it and it all breaks apart. Ah, and then your dad steps on one of them and it's yeah. all <laughs> and, and you don't get Legos for a month or so <laughs> after that. <laughs> oh man. Um, but you know, like I like I mentioned, like every good monster story, there's there's an element of, of social commentary that that, mm -hmm. that comes along with it. You know, obviously, you know, it's about big girls, you're exploring gender roles in this world. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, without trying to give too much of the, the substance of the book away, obviously. Um you know, but one of the things that 
obviously, you know, feels very prevalent uh, to me. You know, it looks like this book has some stuff to say about the treatment of women in the workplace, which, you know, uh, uh, you know, fantastic, because obviously, you know, the the star of this book, or at least, you know, the star of the first issue is is Ember, this woman who's, Mm -hmm. you know, being used as a as a weapon to fight, you know, the the monsters of the book. Yep. Yeah, the. So there's two, there's two kind of things. Like when I'm, when I'm drawing mm-hmm. something, I can be very superficial and be happy, <laughs> you know, like the most, you know, a robot smashing through a thing with no reason. I, I could draw that all day and I'll be happy as anything sitting here. <laughs> so the, the sort of when creating this book, that was the appeal to me for the artist side was the big B movie you know, monster, giant monster smashing a city, you know, giant girls with guns and swords and all this stuff. Um, but for me to write something, you know, there has to be a little more something there. And, you know, my intent, you know, with writing a comic is, you know, not to preach or not to, you know, necessarily even give a point of view, but I want, there are certain questions and things. And, you know, one of the things when I started working on big girls, there's a couple things. One is, you know, you know, I'm an adult, I read the news, I watch the news, I'm online, you know, and sometimes you're just like, man, stuff sucks, you know, like we need a big fix. And, you know, I, I'm, I don't necessarily, I'm not a pessimistic person, and I don't always think that, but it's really easy to get kind of caught up in the problems and not pay attention to the good things that are happening around us or not pay attention to the people in our lives that are good. And it's just easy sometimes to feel like, man, we need a big, we need a big fix. We need a big solution. We need to burn it down and start over. And, you know, I don't necessarily believe that, but I, those are feelings. And as I started to write this story, one of the things I wanted to explore is this idea of big fixes and big solutions. And this idea that, you know, there can be people on difference on extremes of issues that are right that are wrong, that are both right and wrong, people who are in the middle, how do they navigate this? And when you have people like Ember, you know, who are maybe in a position, maybe even like a, like a sports athlete, where they're sort of loved and adored because of a thing they can do really good, you know, like maybe, I don't know, maybe that's not healthy for them. You know, what happens if they stop being, you know, your favorite sports player blows out his knee and isn't very fast anymore and can't dunk a basketball the way he could. And, you know, maybe you still appreciate them for what they once did for you, but it's very quick for the kind of adoration to fade once the person you love can't do the things, you know, do we just love them because of what they do for us? So some of those mm-hmm. kind of questions were things I wanted to explore, um, I guess, through Ember and through this story. And uh, yeah, so that, for the writer side of me was the fun part of the story it was kind of trying to find an extreme situation where things are very big and obvious. It's a comic book. So I don't, you know, especially with big giant monsters, subtlety can take a little bit of a backseat. I think, you know, <laughs> like you can have some fun with this, but you know, there are some of those questions that I kind of want to, you know, from the writer side of me explore and hopefully through the making of the book, find an entertaining way where the cool visual stuff has a little meat to it that you kind of care when the emotional moments hit mm-hmm. and you're kind of, you know, maybe can understand the bad guys a little bit, 
you know, and maybe are a little unsure about who's really right or wrong and what's the real solution and, you know, kind of, you know, ask some questions along the way. Well, certainly the, uh, the, the desire to uh, burn it all down and start fresh is a big 2020 mood. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was not expecting that to uh, be quite so, uh, I guess, in, in the air when I, when I started writing that. Yeah. I would prefer it wasn't, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, yes, we all would. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about timing in, in a little bit. Um, there's, there's a dark moment about halfway through the book that that's yeah. the most that I will say about it, uh, but very much establishes the stakes of, of the world that we're in. Um, and also, you know, a lot of this book feels like uh, parental nightmare fuel mm-hmm. that way. Um, you know, is, is this the kind of thing where it's like, you know, you, you, you walk in on, in your kid's bedroom, you know, they've been asleep for like an hour, you know, it's that thing that every parent does and they just kind of look in on them and it's like, you know, yeah. worry, worried about what they're going to become because it, it, you know, it does feel like, yep. again, we're talking about gender roles here, yep. you know, early on, early onset toxic masculinity <laughs> yep. appears to be another one that kind of the, the, the issues, you know, cooking in this thing. Yeah. I mean, I've got kids, so that is definitely a part of it. Um, I have a daughter who's a little older now. She's a a teenager, but Mm -hmm. um, which is its own whole set of things. But when I started writing this, she was not. And so one of the things in my head was kind of this idea that, man, it's real weird having a daughter, first of all, like not, (laughs) you know, it's just as a father, it's a very you know, different thing for me than, than my sons and uh, not in a bad way, but it's just, it's, you know, whatever. So um, (laughs) I I have one of each. I can commiserate. I know what you're saying. (laughs) So thinking about though, like what her choices and how the world is going to affect her just as a female Mm -hmm. compared to what I had to deal with, I, I feel like there's a weird sense of like, man, that's not that it's going to suck for her, but she's going to have to deal with things that I maybe had it easier on. Sure. And, you know, she's going to have to deal with issues that for me, I didn't even think about them being issues until I became an adult, you know, like as a, as a teenager, you know, there were things I just were not in my radar. Maybe I was naive. I know I was naive, but you know, they just weren't things I thought about. So one of the things in writing this was kind of this awareness of stuff that, you know, my kids were going to have to deal with. And, you know, I wanted to give a perspective of a parent and a parent who has to deal with some difficult things. And I wanted a character to kind of parallel Ember's role where she's a very much a privileged sort of part of this society. I wanted somebody who was kind of the opposite of that and to see kind of where their journeys take them and how people can deal with both good things in their life and bad things in their life. And maybe, you know, have to make choices about, you know, my privileged status may mean I have to make a choice about embracing that privilege or turning against that. My struggles in my life might mean I have to make a choice to, you know, forgive or I have to make a choice to fight back. I have to, you know, all these things. And I kind of wanted their stories to kind of parallel each other. And 
you know, that gave me, again, from the writer side of me, gave me a lot of things that, you know, were fun to write, challenging to write. Um, so that in the first issue, there was some dark moments that kind of were a little challenging, but I felt were, you know, maybe necessary for the way the, the story was that I wanted to tell and the characters in the world and kind of setting everything up. So. I don't know if that makes sense, but <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. So uh, away from the the social commentary and more into the the nitty gritty of the the kind of horror post diseasey typeness mm -hmm. of the book. Um, there's a specific sort of type of horror that comes with that plague narrative, whether it's uh, zombie, usually mm -hmm. with zombieism, um, where the inciting incident is far less important than the aftermath. Uh, right. Night of the Living Dead comes to mind, where the whole thing about the, the satellite is so obviously tacked on because the studio wanted some reason, <laughs> and right. the, uh, the Walking Dead is the best recent example right. where the comic, where there's no reason for right. the zombies it's just there are zombies right uh in the book they talk about the mistake right. that caused the jacks but even there it said no one knows what caused it without spoiling anything mm -hmm. is that a tease for something you're doing or is that just sort of let's put this on the table say hey it happened we don't know and let's move on with and just take the world as it is. Yeah. Much, much more of the latter of that. I, I felt like, I mean, I, I know kind of, I, I wrote out what kind of happened so I would know the world, but I felt like telling that story is not, it's like, you know, a how to like, I'm not interested in how, and the people just like in my world, I don't know the big reasons behind why a lot of stuff happens, you know, especially when you're living in it. Like now we can look back at World War II and there's lots of books and firsthand accounts. But if you're living in that moment, you know, the every, everyday people don't know everything that's happening. They hear rumors, they read little bits here and there. And so that's kind of the approach I wanted. I wanted to get it out, but I didn't want it to be a nagging thing for a reader that is waiting for this thing i want to tell a story that takes place within a world where that's happened that's not about how it happened but that's this is where we're at and this is how people are dealing with it now um how far out are, are you plotted you know with this do you have kind of a finite end in mind or you know yeah, so I've got the first six issues like fully done. So I'm like, I'm like, oh, there's no like massive deadline pressure as sometimes there is when a first issue launches. Mm -hmm. um, the the shutdown with uh, COVID, yep. uh, I guess, helped that a little. I hate to say helped, but I would have much preferred it to have not helped. Uh, but it did give a little extra time, so I'm farther ahead maybe than I would have been. But uh, I am writing out and working on past that. Mm -hmm. And so I've got, I know where the story's going. I know where it's ending a little bit of the middle. Um, 
could be a little shorter or longer depending on you know how we do numbers wise and you know how, what the response is to the comic once it comes out uh, but I know kind of where I want the story to go and um, yeah what the kind of implications are for the world and the characters and so I was actually just designing some characters today for um, issue seven and eight that I was like oh man like these, these I, w I want to draw these like right now these are going to be awesome so that's a fun <laughs> part is like you know I kind of know what's coming you know the readers still get to experience the first beginning of the story but I'm in the part where I'm like oh and then you know this and, you know so I don't know that's a lot of fun <laughs> Um, so when you're, when you're kind of the whole, uh, you know, or, or 95% of the, of the kit and caboodle on the series, you know, you're writing, you're drawing, uh, inks, colors, it's an image book. So there's backend stuff that you're also, you know, responsible for, uh, how much time, uh, does that leave you for, for other projects? You know, are you doing covers for other books at the same time, or, or are you right. basically turning everything else down, you know, in service of big girls? I'm mostly focusing on big girls. I did a run of covers for Skybound's book Stealth mm -hmm. um, that's coming out right now. And so I did the first six issues, I think, of that, which I think is maybe that's a six issue mini. Um, don't quote me on that. But uh, so that was really fun. That's a fun book, really well written, really well drawn. And I was happy to be able to do covers for that. And uh, that's the only other project I have going on now, other than I'm, I'm writing a couple projects that I want to draw, like in the future after Big Girls. Hmm. Um, my writing process I've sort of found works best when I sit and write when I have ideas, you know, so I have like long notes just filled with ideas and issues and dialogue and, you know, all different bits. And then when I sit down to actually write it, you know, I don't have to come up with everything that day or that week. I've got a lot of stuff that's already kind of seeds planted for what it becomes. So um, last week I spent a couple of days working on a project that I'm really excited to get to draw. That's very different from big girls, but hopefully will be a while before I'm drawing that because I'll be so busy with big girls. It sounds like you've got, you know, a lot of your own, uh, stuff going on both with big girls and you know future projects that you're kind of curdling ideas for you know is it the kind of thing where i don't know let's say kirkman comes up to you tomorrow and he's like hey i got the perfect idea for x you know right i want you to draw this you know right. is it is it a thing where you know i don't know maybe big girls takes a saga hiatus or or, or something like that or, or are you kind of in a place where you know what it's like i'm, I'm good kind of just doing me right now Right. So, I mean, you know, if, if Robert calls, you know, and we talk about a thing that I'm excited about, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, that'd be awesome. I love working with Robert and I know the people at Skybound and we have a good relationship there. Um, the big girls, though, is kind mm -hmm. of like one of those things that I feel like this is my book. I put a lot into developing the world. I kind of know where it's going, the design. So it, if if the marketplace allows, I want to like do this story of big girls and you know I, i've been reading comics long enough to kind of know that sort of when, when someone says oh i'm gonna go do this other thing and come back to this later sometimes that happens but sometimes there that doesn't happen the audience isn't there the publisher isn't supporting of that coming back so you know never say never but my hope is to you know 
get this run on big girls. If it, if it allows where I can tell the whole thing and knock it out, then that would be totally awesome. If it looks like I need to take other work to pay the bills, then, you know, that's kind of the way the marketplace is dictated and I'll have to do that. Sure. Uh, but for right now, you know, I'm really hoping that, you know, people dig it and I get a chance to kind of draw more awesome stuff. Um, speaking of drawing awesome stuff, you know, you've got a deep well of drawing monsters and big things, you know, f- uh, from Astounding Wolfman to Super Dinosaur, uh, big girls now. Um, you know, who are some of, you know, look, who are some of the masters of, I wrote Kaiju, but you know, any, you know, monsters in general, in terms of, you know, comic art that, you know, you kind of either that came before you or you're just like, Oh man, he, you know, he or she is so good, you know? Right. I mean, someone now who I think draws awesome monsters is Nick Bradshaw. Um, okay. mm-hmm. So like, it's, it's different than the way I draw it. Um, but just in, draws like every tiny little scale and all the detail. And I don't know, they just look really fun to me. Uh, you know, but the kind of master of that is like Art Adams. You know, you look at the way he would draw creatures and monsters and again, very kind of detail and his, the flavor he brings to all his work. You mentioned Wolfman. We were lucky to have Art Adams do a Wolfman variant cover, um, which I was just like, oh my word, Art Adams is drawing this character I designed. You know, that's it. I'm done. I'm out. <laughs> um but yeah, so, you know, he's, he's amazing. So, um, but there, I mean, there's a lot of people, um, you know, that I think do great monsters. I mean, you know, Ryan Otley, we're friends and we got to know each other from mm-hmm. working with Robert, but I mean, he draws awesome everything, but I mean, he draws awesome monsters. They're big and strong and just very dynamic and powerful. And, um, I'm sure I'll think of others as soon as we're, as soon as we're done, but those, those come to mind. Um, yeah so uh, big girls I you know you mentioned you know the the pandemic gave you the diamond shutdown gave you a little bit more time uh, Mm -hmm. obviously I looked up and apparently this image announced the series or at least I got the press release it was like the day before new comics actually started coming out again Uh, you know in the original scheme of things you know Mm -hmm. life you know life back in those salad days of february uh you know was was this was this book supposed to start earlier than uh than august yeah it was initially to be a july book Mm. so it ended up getting delayed a month but at the at the beginning of the shutdown it felt like it was going to be delayed yeah like who knows how long Sure. So in fact, when Image decided to launch it in August, I was still like, do we even know if comics will be like, you know, back and running in August? And um, because as you mentioned, the announcement came fairly early, but they were confident that that was a good time and wanted to kind of get the trains rolling again on on that stuff. And so let's do it. So yeah, it's, uh, you know, I hope people give it a chance. And, you know, I hope, uh, you know, it's one of those, you know, books that catches people's eye. And maybe if you haven't had a chance to get in a comic store for a while, uh, it'll be a good reason to head back in. Yeah. I know I was, I, for the first time, like over the weekend, I made it into a comic book store. And I was like, since the pandemic started, I was like, mm-hmm. oh, this is so nice. <laughs> but there's all these books that I'm like, you know, some I bought digitally, but I just wanted to buy the print copy because I was in there and other stuff I've been waiting to buy. and. 
So yeah, it's, uh, I, I hope people, uh, get into their comic book store and support it and comics in general. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'll tell you actually, uh, less, yeah, it was, it was June, right, Matt? Uh, yeah. <laughs> of course, he knows where I'm going with this, but uh, it was a flat circle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> no, but uh, there, there was a day, it was like a week or two after, uh, we're both in New Jersey, so okay. non-essential retail opened like June 22nd or like, so like, I think the week after that, he and I, you know, got our masks and did like a quick road trip around like Southern New Jersey and hit like a bunch of comic shops and dropped like coin wherever we could just to- right. You know, it it felt good. It just felt good to be back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It 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 it, it did. It's uh, you know, the the comic store in my town. Like I used to have a comic store I could walk to, and it was amazing. So I, every Wednesday I would walk and you know put one of my kids in the stroller or whatever, and take them to the comic book store, and they'd get Ben Ten or whatever comic they recognized, and I'd get mm-hmm. my stuff and. You know, when that store closed, it was a big bummer uh, for me just because it was like, oh, it's so convenient. And not that the stores around here are far. I mean, I can drive to one in, you know, 15 minutes, but it's not Mm -hmm. that convenient. Like, it's literally right around the corner and, you know, you drive by it every day and you can walk to it on a nice day. And so I miss that super convenience. Um, and then sometimes with, with life, I feel like my trips to the comic book store are like events and I come away with like so much stuff <laughs> because they're so spread out. So uh, it becomes retail therapy. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Ah, so, uh, speaking of, of str- the strange times that we're in, so we're recording this right after, uh, Comic-Con at home, which yeah. like so much these days, you know, is a surreal was a surreal experience sort of compared with to actually being among the crush of masses at San Diego. Um, you know, were you, were you a big convention person before this year? So the last few years I've done less conventions. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I'll keep mentioning my kids, but that's kind of where I am in life. Sure. Uh, as they've gotten older and are involved in stuff, you know, I feel like as a parent, I kind of have to make decisions about, you know, all right, you know, what are my work think priorities and what are my family priorities? So comic book conventions have been one of the things that I've kind of cut back on. I mean, I feel like last year I did two, I did C2E2, I think. And then a smaller one here in Michigan that was fairly local that I know the guys have run that. And so pretty limited. I did San Diego a couple of years ago. Um, and uh, others here and there, but it's been, you know, a few years since I've done more than probably two or three conventions a year, um, which I like traveling. And the best part of conventions for me is seeing my friends that I don't get to see and then getting to meet fans and talking to people, you know, who read the book or like the books that I've worked on. And, you know, that's a, always a lot of fun. Um, so the convention at home stuff, being able to see some stuff online has been nice. But for me, I'm like, well, I was always stuck at my table, never got to go to panels. <laughs> you know, anyway, you know, and I, I see some of my friends, I'll see, you know, on Zoom or Skype or whatever. But, you know, the fun of conventions is seeing them in person. So, yeah. you know, still missing that. And I look forward to when we'll be able to, you know, kind of have them back to normal again, whenever Absolutely. that is. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So 
flashing back to uh, a little earlier in your career, uh, I want to just talk to you a little about some of your work with, we've mentioned him, this obscure creator that people <laughs> might have heard of, Robert Kirkman. You know, I think he'll be big if people find his work. Yeah, um, I know. It's hard to say. <laughs> um, you worked uh, with uh, Kirkman on the all ages uh, book, Super Dinosaur, yep. which was a, a ton of fun. Um, yep. Was it exciting to see the book made into the an animated series for Amazon Prime? Yeah, that, I mean, it was awesome. Like, <laughs> you, you know, you're kind of like, that's, you know, for like anything I work on, like I do it for the comic. Like I loved comics before I loved cartoons. So all that being said, to see a thing that you made and to see drawings you did and to see it translated into another media, uh, is really awesome. And I was pretty fortunate to be able to work closely with the teams making the show. Uh, so I got to be in the writer's room as stories being broke. And I was kind of like the, you know, the resident, you know, uh, I guess expert on the characters. Um, Robert was in as well, but as he has other TV stuff going, his schedule is a little less flexible mm -hmm. than mine. So I kind of became the, the go-to on a lot of that stuff. And then also got to work with the animation studio in Vancouver, Atomic Cartoons, which they've done a lot of cool stuff. And uh, got to work with them on helping set the, I guess, kind of tone and style direction. And one of the things, you know, obviously comics and animation is different. So you don't want, you want the animated series to honor the comic and honor the spirit and visuals and kind of, look like it belongs with it but you don't want it to try to match the comic in a way that hurts it you know obviously as an animated show mm -hmm. and so some of the that decision making process um could get a little you know all right which way do we go on this how do we you know what do we change what don't we change what do we stay true to what do we modify to make it work in animation and so a lot of those decisions required a lot of discussion and kind of figuring out and um, so it was really fun though, to be involved with that. Um, I had a blast just seeing, you know, you see the animatics come in and then, you know, you hear, all right, here's three actors who are auditioning for this character. Listen to them and let us know your top picks. And you're like, oh man, they're all <laughs> awesome. But sometimes it'd be immediate. You would just hear it and you'd be like, oh, yep, that's, you know, that's Aaron or that's Dr. Dynamo or that's, you know, Max Maximus. And, um, other times you'd have to kind of go through some stuff. So it, it was really fun. And once the animation started coming in and, you know, I'd be on calls because the actors were all um, doing the records in Vancouver. Uh, I would be on like uh, video calls where, you know, I'd be in the room on a computer screen somewhere, you know, kind of seeing that and be able to give uh, comments to the voice director if I thought, you know, we wanted to try read a little bit different or, you know, take a little, do another take on something. And, um, but really, you know, they had a top notch crew from the voice actors to the animation stuff. And, you know, it was just fun for me to be able to kind of be a part of that and to see it all kind of come together. And, uh, we even got some of these. Ooh, nice. Toys. Yeah, it's a toys. <laughs> Sorry, sorry, people on the podcast. I'm showing a little super dinosaur toy here. That, <laughs> it looks pretty that, great. Uh, yeah, it was pretty fun. So apparently, I didn't know this, but uh, 
in the amazing world of Canada, Toys R Us still lives. Oh. So oh. Wow. when Toys R Us was going through its uh, bankruptcy a few years ago, mm-hmm. the Canadian stores were split off, I guess, and somehow purchased separately and kept going as an entity, um, even though the U.S. stores all closed. So Super Dinosaur Toys were on shelves in Toys R Us, but in Canada. It's like, oh, so close. Like, <laughs> if I was a kid and I'd walked into a Toys R Us and saw, you know, toys from a thing I'd made, I'd been like, you know, your head would explode. So I was like, well, it happened, but, you know, it wasn't, wasn't like at the store in my town where I could go to anymore, but still, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, one of the, the really, the things about Super Dinosaur that I loved were the designs and the names for the, the Dino Men, the sort of, not just Super Dinosaur, but all the others, uh, a personal favorite being the uh, bipedal axe-wielding Triceratops named Triceratops. Um, of course. Was that a thing where Robert gave you like a list of these pun names and let you go wild? Or were you also able to, you know, I think I want an evil ankylosaur named Pankylosaurus. <laughs> with, with the Dino Men, those were, those were, if I remember right, those were Robert coming up with those names. I remember doing, before we had names, and before we were, when we were developing the designs, we were, sometimes at the beginning of a project, you're finding the tone, you know, and the look and how, like, we knew we wanted to be all ages. And so I was like, how all ages, how young, how old? And I remember early design for the Triceratops character uh, was, this is horrible, I shouldn't even say it, because I'm like, I don't know what I was thinking. But it was a Triceratops, but it was a male, but he was dressed as a baseball pitcher, and he threw baseballs was his weapon. And uh, again, it's not good. I'm saying it right now. But at the time, I was like exploring, like, all right, how young do we want this to be? How old? And Robert was like, no, don't know. <laughs> like, he reacted viscerally against that. He said, to be a girl, she's got an ax, and her name is Triceratops. And I was like, oh, yes, you are right. That is actually something that's a good idea. Better than a baseball. Like, I don't even know baseballs with a Triceratops. But in my head, I'm like, kids like baseball, right? So, so. There's an all dinosaur version of the Warriors now that exists only in my head, but I want to see it. <laughs> That's right. I would watch that show. Uh, is, yeah. is that a world that you and uh, Robert have talked about ever uh, going back to at some point? It seemed like there was so much more there. I mean, uh, Astounding Wolfman sort of had a beginning, right. middle, and end, but there was seemed like there was more you guys might have wanted to do with Super Dinosaur. Yeah, I bug him about it regularly. I probably have an email or text from, I would say, sometime in the month of July where I probably bugged him about that. Um, but, you know, I, we, we have no, no plans. Um, the, the first season of Super Dinosaurs on Amazon Prime, it was a 26-episode season, so they kind of split it into two, two parts, um, which is a big chunk. Um, I think... You know, I don't know what the plans are for the series now. I'm not kind of in that part of the loop. My, my feeling is probably um, if it was, you know, if we were going to make a second season, it would be being made right now. That, that's just my sense of it. Mm. Um, but who knows how that world works. 
So um, I'm hopeful we'll get to do more, but, you know, I'm moving on and working on other projects and, you know, but I, you know, I made Super Dinosaur when my kids were little and young. So it's very connected for me to that when my kids were that age um, and we're, you know, I love my kids, but, you know, six and seven year old problems are a lot more fun than 14 and 15 year old problems. So, uh, you know, for me in my head, Super Dinosaur is both a world that I love and designs I like drawing, but also kind of I, I very fondly remember the time of my life that I was making that book. So like, it'd be fun to go back and, you know, see what that would look like now. I feel like I'm a much better artist now than I was when I did that. And so I really, you know, part of me is like, oh, it'd be a fun challenge to go back in and see how, how I could make that stuff look now. Like, I know there's things that, you know, I feel like I would be able to do, you know, make it look a lot more, I don't know, cooler, I guess, <laughs> better, cooler, dynamic, whatever. <laughs> um, and one quick stop over at uh, the just mentioned uh, Astounding Wolfman. Uh, yeah. That was... Uh, you're actually our second creator in a row that we've interviewed who did a werewolf comic and I'm a big oh. werewolf guy. That's kind of one of my things. So it was, are you into werewolves or is that more, again, Robert had this idea for a werewolf comic came to you and was like, Hey, you want to draw this werewolf superhero hybrid book? Right. It, it was, again, it was very much the second. I, I was not a big werewolf guy. Um, probably if you had said, what's, what's a book that you want to draw? I would have said, give me a robot character. I love drawing tech and especially early in my career, I felt a lot more comfortable drawing mechanical tech objects than I did kind of organic hairy beasts. And so the part of the challenge of Wolfman and it became kind of the fun of it was figuring out how do I push myself as an artist? And then on Wolfman, it was the first time I had drawn a comic book on a like regular schedule. So there's, it's a huge difference from saying you've got all the time you need to draw this issue, or you've got a couple months or it's for a small publisher and they're going to put it out next summer. So you have to have it done in three months and to saying, here's a script. We need inks or colors by the, you know, four weeks, three weeks, whatever the date is and having to figure out, oh, I can draw a page I'm happy with, but how do I draw a page I'm happy with today? And then tomorrow, draw, start all over and do another page I'm happy with, and then the next day. And so that, for me, really became a big challenge of that series, was trying to figure out how do I draw stuff that I like, that I feel tells a story that I think looks decent, on a schedule, I've never done it before, I was trying a lot. I was inking. I colored the first few issues of that. And then we, I, we brought in a colorist just to lighten my workload, and, but I was still penciling and inking. So I was trying lots of different inking tools, you know, just to see what fit and what worked. And, you know, over the course of the series, I think you can see kind of a style shift as I was, you know, trying to, A, I was learning to draw better and I was trying different tools and techniques, trying to find stuff that I felt fit the book better. And again, that's another book where I feel like, man, if I were to draw Wolfman today, I know exactly how I, how I would want it to look. You know, I would do a much better job of it. Um, you know, I'm proud of the work that we did, but when you look back at work early in your career, sometimes it's easy to see the stuff where you're like, oh yeah, I, 
why did I do that? That was, that, that didn't look very cool. <laughs> but, you know, it's still, it, that was the book that kind of, for me, kind of transitioned from me being, you know, a person who had a, a job, like a day job and did comics in the evening, kind of, you know, as a hobbyist, hoping to do them professionally to actually leaving the day job and working on comics full time. And, you know, so for me, Wolfman was really like just jumping into the deep end and I had a lot of fun and I felt like I was over my head and I tried to do the best work I could. And I think I learned a lot and I feel like that's probably looking back was the best way to do it. You know, just get in there and, you know, better or worse, you know, learn how to make comics on a schedule. Um, you know, and, and so we've talked about for the last little bit about, you, you know, your work with Kirkman, you know, mm -hmm. you've had, you, you've worked with some pretty big, you know, writers in the industry. Yep. Uh, you know, what do you feel like you've learned uh, as, uh, as a writer on the writer side from your past collaborators that, you know, has kind of led you to, you know, this current moment with, uh, with big girls? One is just format, you know, reading scripts and just seeing kind of getting a feel for how much information is put in and then having to draw them and getting a sense of how things work out. You know, Robert does a thing. Um, he did it regularly in Wolfman and Super Dinosaur, and I think it's genius. So I'm going to say, say it here so if somebody wants to steal it, they can. But he will often do a one-page kind of quiet scene that's either characters reacting to big events or preparation to big events. And it'll be very succinct, but a little emotional moment where he's able to, and I think this is one of his, the strengths in his writing, he's able to kind of quickly get to the point and, in a way that, that reads and feels naturally, um, but still does it in a short amount of space. So he would often have these just beautiful little one pages that would transition and set up stuff. And a lot of comics that I read would do a similar thing over, say, three or four pages. The problem is, is, is if I have a 20-page book, you know, for me, I like books like Stuff Happens books. You know, I, I want, I want, like I want things to move. I want stuff to happen. Um, that doesn't mean there's not a place for other styles. That's just what I, I tend to respond to. And so that was one thing that I kind of actively was aware of after reading a lot of his scripts that he would do that allowed you to get that moment that's necessary for the story, but do it in an efficient way where you're not using a lot of basically precious artist real estate on two people sitting in a cafe talking, um, you know, for multiple pages. Now, maybe there's a spot where that's needed, but a lot of times if you can get that in a page and as an artist, I can draw the cafe scene in one page and then have those other two pages for a werewolf jumping off a building looking awesome. You know, I mean, that's going to make me happier as an artist. As you as a reader are probably going to be like, oh, that's cool. You know, again, going back to the, the cool rule that we talked about at the top. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, that's one thing I picked up from his stuff. And then Warren would do a thing where he's very, he has a way of being brief and to the point with character sometimes that I really, uh, like, I really, again, respond to where I feel like you get in a situation with a character 
it might be a more drawn out scene than that one page, but it, he has a way of speaking briefly and directly that, you know, I think is kind of the genius of writing is being able to take a lot of stuff and boil away everything you don't need and just end up with that one little kind of gem or that one little truth. And, you know, for me, I don't think I'm anywhere near that stuff, either of those guys on the writing side, but what I hope is, you know, I hope to have, um, and over the course of my career, develop maybe um, a, a vision where, I, don't know if that, I mean, it sounds pretentious, but basically a, a comic book presentation where maybe I'm not the best artist, maybe I'm not the best writer, maybe I'm not the best colorist, but the sum of all these parts in a comic gives a re reading experience that would hopefully be something unique and something that would be, you know, greater than all the individual parts of that. So, you know, I'm hoping Big Girls is the first series of several that I'll be able to write and draw. Um, but if it's the only one, I'm putting my all into it. So it'll be out there for, you know, people to check out. All you can do. Um, what, are you, what are you reading right now? You, you just mentioned uh, grabbing a big bag of uh, comics the other, other day. So I, I did. So I, I picked up uh, Daniel Warren Johnson's Wonder Woman Dead Earth books. It's really which good. I hadn't had a chance. Yeah, I mean, Daniel's a beast. So yeah. <laughs> he's, he's a great writer. Like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Murder Falcon is amazing, Extremity. So I just hadn't got a chance to pick up the Wonder Woman books yet. And I knew I wanted those in print. So uh, I picked those up and I picked up, I left them upstairs. Uh, I'm trying to think of what else I got. I got, uh, oh, the Oblivion Song 25 has a science dog flip book to it. Mm. And I like Oblivion Song, but, uh, you know, science dog. I was like, oh man, I got to get that. So I've been getting Oblivion Song in trades. Mm -hmm. not singles but i'm like well i'm picking up that single because i got to see Corey's science dog stuff <laughs> um other things i've been reading uh fol is it folklords um, oh okay yeah uh yeah. matt kent's uh series yeah, Hinton, yeah. yeah. And, matt and matt smith i think yeah yep uh i like that a lot i love matt smith's art he did a book um with nathan fairbairn from image called uh lake of fire maybe something fire Sorry, guys. No. Yeah, I'm blanking on it, too. <laughs> yeah. It was a two, three years ago, but uh, it was awesome. Um, it's like alien uh, alien ship crash lands in medieval times. Yes, yeah, Lake of know? Fire. Is that what it is? Nice. Yeah. That was awesome. Um, cur current stuff, I, I just read the end of Middle West, mm -hmm. which um, I don't know if that book has if that issue has come out um i read a digital preview of that but that's a great book scotty young and jorge are just uh jorge corona are just killing it on that book i i it's emotional it's a fantasy book it's got great visuals um i like that a lot and uh i I'm trying to think what else i've been reading um i like once in future i like dan mora's Art, yeah. uh, Karen Dillon writes that. I think that's a cool a book. Just looks cool. Uh, you know, I'll, I pick up stuff that you know guys I know work on, and you know, like Otley stuff and mm -hmm. others. But um, yeah, yeah, um, kind of cooling down here. Uh, you're a sports fan. 
and yeah, you know, big day coming up at the end of this week. Uh, I mean, it'll be next week by the time anyone hears this. But uh, you know, what what are what are your hopes for the uh, the NBA bubble season? <laughs> uh, well, my my initial hope, and a couple people had mentioned this idea, and I really wish they'd done it this way, was since the season is going to be different anyway, yep. right? It's going to be an asterisk season anyway. And since we got cheated out of March Madness for college basketball, yeah, I wish they would have taken every NBA team, seeded them according to what their record was at the end of the season, and just done a straight-up March Madness-style tournament. I mean, maybe you do a couple weeks of scrimmage games so everybody's in game shape. Mm-hmm. But then just I feel like that would have been a ton of fun for the fans and fun you know, to see NBA players all competing at that level. Um, with that not happening, I think what – they've got in the bubble and, and everything makes sense. We've been watching all the scrimmage games with my boys and actually my daughter, they all play, play basketball. So um, they're all happy to not being forced to watch replays of old Detroit Pistons championship <laughs> games. <laughs> like, all right, dad, we've seen this game like four times now since quarantine. Do we have to watch it again? I was like, yeah, you probably do. <laughs> so uh, yeah, they're, they're happy to be able to watch some new stuff. So I, you know, the Pistons obviously didn't make it. Um, they weren't that, that great this year. Um, you know, I like uh, I, I like uh, Utah, you know, if I'm not picking an obvious team, you mm-hmm. know. I mean, Houston, again, probably an obvious team, but they've got a lot of talent. It's hard to, it's hard to not think the Lakers are going to do well, again, with the talent that they have. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's just fun to fun to see it back. And, yeah, uh, playing again. Although uh, interesting little uh, scare to uh, different sport, but still the uh, the whole thing with the Marlins uh, having an outbreak, and we're we're like we're like in Philly's country too, so it's like ooh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I'm hoping with the NBA stuff, it seems like very controlled and very yeah. kind of strict. So hopefully that. Um, you know, that won't happen there, but yeah, we're, we're all in our household, you know, there, we're all kind of like looking at what school looks like and yeah, mm-hmm. no, they just, our school district just announced today that we'll be starting the year on online only. Uh, there had been some discussion about how that was going to happen, if they're going to be in school or online. And then, you know, there's a lot of discussion about how it affects sports, um, you know, especially, fall sports my kids don't play football or anything but my daughter plays volleyball so who knows what's going to happen there and then winter sports with basketball that's a very close contact sport so um yeah I know my son has been doing a couple travel basketball tournaments but they're very strict and very regulated on fans and Mm -hmm. in between so there's contact you can't get away from the contact between the kids on the court but in between games the gym is cleared all the stands and everywhere is all washed down and then people are let in in small groups and, you know, they're being pretty uh, proactive and strict about that kind of stuff. But still, you know, you don't know how long that's going to last and what it looks like in a school setting. And yeah. so it's kind of one of those things still up in the air. Yeah. New, New Jersey uh, decided to give, they told that every district basically at this point you have to, you have to offer both options. So mm-hmm. for parents who want to do online learning, you can do that right. for parents who need their kids in school because 
you know, they have to work right? <laughs> or, or whatever, you know, that's there too. So it's just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, times. I don't know how, like it, it sucks for people who, I mean, it sucks for everybody and there's yeah. no, there's no right answer. There, like, how yeah. do you know, you know, yeah. if, if you go back to school and then there's an outbreak, you're like, Oh, you're, you know, yeah. But if you've got young kids, like my kids are all, you know, eighth grade and above. So they can self-manage. They need a little like parental kind of uh, checkups, you know, but, but if they were young to the point where they would need a person there fully to teach them, like, I don't know, like that's a job. Like yeah. that is, it's called teachers. <laughs> like that's a, that's a whole job. <laughs> so how do you do that job on top of whatever your job job is? Uh, yeah, it uh, it sucks. Yeah, uh, my 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 nine year old uh, did very well with virtual instruction this spring, and right. you know I think we'll be okay with him continuing that in the fall, just because you know he's pretty studious, right? And, you know how to get stuff done. I think my daughter's three. Oh, I don't know how long this is going on for. You know what right. I'm saying? Like, let's. <sighs> If, if this were still an issue when she were right. five right. And, and, you know, she's entering the public school system, she would need a lot more hands-on oh, yeah. focused instruction. <laughs> so, <Yep>. yeah. Well, <laughs> let's this, get on that vaccine. <laughs> let's hope this is not happening when she's five. I will have yeah. lost my mind then if my kids are stuck in the house for two more years. <laughs> yeah. Ah, uh, anyway, uh, welcome to Parent Chat. Um, no, <laughs> as sorry, sorry, comics fans, uh, <laughs> let this be a lesson to you. Enjoy yeah. your comics and don't go on dates. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, uh, but no, as we're as we're winding down, uh, Jason, uh, how can po- people uh, follow you and everything you're working on right now? So I'm on Twitter at the Jason Howard. So I will usually just show art. Sometimes I'll do little sneak peeks of coloring or inking and things I'm working on. And then Instagram, Jason Howard Art. So either of those are good places to find me. And uh, probably not as active as I should be in either of those. But, you know, I don't know. That's, social media is not my, uh, my natural place to live. So You're better I, off. Yes. <laughs> So, yeah, but, you know, I, I love the immediacy of being able to follow artists and see what they're working on. So I wish every artist I followed just, you know, showed me all their process stuff because that's the stuff I love. So that's what I try to make mine like. So if you like seeing art and you like seeing what, you know, an artist is working on and what I've got coming out, um, then it's for you. If you want to hear my opinions about stuff, you know, come over to my house and we'll, we'll chat and, you know, but <laughs> probably not going to hear it on online. <laughs> All right, Jason, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah. Thanks guys. I really appreciate it. That's it for this week's show. As always, you can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at WMQComics.com where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ&A and WMQComics.com at patreon.com slash WMQComics for just a dollar donation. Get you early access to episodes, the ability to promote your work on our site, and a customized bonus reading column written by our own Matt Lazowitz, built around the character, creator, or theme of your choice. And a $2 donation gets you a free random comic in the mail for my collection. Big thanks to our patrons, Charlie Davis from the Young Ones and Match Club Podcasts, Robert Secundus from Docs Talks, XavierFiles.com, 
Scott Madrinsky from Mojoswork.com, Carla Pacheco from Marvel's Spider-Woman series, Saren, and Lan M. You can follow WMQ Comics on Twitter and Facebook, and you can follow me on Twitter at Daniel P. Grote and Matt Laswitz at MattLaz1013. Not a fan of social media? Sign up for our weekly Q newsletter, which gives you the best of WMQ every week in your inbox, plus sneak peeks at what's ahead and an early look at our weekly editorial. Finally, and most importantly, check out WMQ Comics for all your comics news, previews, reviews, interviews, and plain old views. And we'll see you next time. WMQA.